Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design, and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode, The Science Behind Connectedness in the Workplace, we're joined by Dr. Dustin Jackson, Associate Director of Transformation Advisory at Cognizant, and Samantha Delabar, Design Leader at BHDP. In anticipation of an upcoming WorkTech Chicago presentation on July 19th, our guests discuss the topic of connectedness as it relates to the workplace. They dive into what it means, why it matters, and how employers can support connectedness in the physical workplace as well as a distributed work ecosystem. I am your host, Brian Trainer, Senior Strategist for BHDP. Let's get started. The last time, Dustin, you were with us, we spoke about eight primal needs. And so if anybody wants to know more about what the eight primal needs and the neuroscience behind that, we have another podcast that we've done we can connect you to. But today, since we're here to talk about connectedness, Sam and Dustin, you're both about to present on neuroscience and the great office debate specific to the context of connectedness. So what is it and why does it matter? So here at BHGP, and something that's very passionate to myself when designing is, is designing with empathy. And we hear a lot about that, especially since the pandemic, really having that clear insight on, on individuals. So my super curiosity, again, is from a human needs, behavioral neuroscience, how our brains are made up, the importance on being together, the importance on connectedness, whether we're in the office or in an environment versus virtual. So helping to understand that science behind how our brains function and how then can we support environments to help support that need. Sure. So understand, you know, why it's important, what's going on. So to help us with that, Dustin, can you tell us a little bit about connectedness and the science behind that? Absolutely. You brought up the eight primal needs I talked about last time. What's fascinating is connectedness is one of the eight primal needs. It's something that is innate in our brains. And what it is, is it's it's the feeling close to friends, family, those around us, our coworkers. It's the connectedness that gives us that sense of belonging to groups or to other people that we really crave as social creatures. From the moment we're born, we need three things. We need to eat, we need to sleep, and we need to feel connected. That's why skin on skin is so important for a newborn, to start creating that connectedness within us. And as we grow into a child, connectedness is important because that means survival. But as we get into adulthood, connectedness really equivalates to success. Those around us, the the networks that we create around us can help us either be a success or be a failure, but that's why that connectedness is so important to us at various different stages of our life. So, Dustin, I think that's great, understanding, you know, connectedness means success when we're in adulthood and moving in, right, to the real world and the workplace or even any higher education building or what it may be. And, again, we contribute success by having our accomplishments, right? So how can we then support that success with the environments that we provide for people to help support them feeling that accomplishment? Gotcha. So it's one of those things that helps us survive as a species is Mm -hmm. our ability to connect with others. Right. But I guess my question is because, you know, Sam and I, we have high levels of empathy, but it manifests differently. So what my curiosity is, is connectedness a spectrum? Like do people uh, react to it in different ways? 
connectedness is completely a spectrum. Connectedness has, has many different faces depending on who you're talking to and who you're working with. Here, here's just a couple examples. I myself, I'm a very social person, very connected. I want to make sure that I'm reaching out to people, that I've got a good group of friends, a great network. And so I'm always thriving for those kind of things. And so you'd, you'd probably say I'm on one end of connectedness. There's another person that I know I serve in the United States Marine Corps with who is on the opposite end of this. He is not very interested in social connections or anything like that, but he keeps a very tight-knit group. So here's the way I want to explain it. Think about my side of the spectrum is the FOMO, which is that fear of missing out that we're all familiar <laughs> with. You know, as a society, we tend to grow to, to have this fear of missing out about things because we want to be included. We want to be connected. But there's other areas of the spectrum where it's more phobie which is fear of being involved. Those are the people that don't really want to be involved in things, and you invite them out to different activities, and they don't really want to go. But they have a very close-knit group of people that they feel connected to that they choose to spend their time with. So, yes, it's a complete spectrum. Very good. Interesting. Yeah, no, I just I always put myself in other people's shoes, right? My daughter is a highly introvert she wants to be at home on time she doesn't need to be around people where me i'm like get me out of this house so the <laughs> pandemic affected me in a large capacity because i miss being around people so i think there's this ability on what is the right mix and for who and obviously there's a complexity because of the spectrum so i'm just curious and constantly interested in understanding you know what are those right environments we can provide to help support the connectedness based on that spectrum so it's easy to think about space and bringing people together in connectedness and i know the work landscape is shifting and so there's more of a virtual element to work and i'm curious can the virtual connection satisfy our needs based on, you know, what the science might say, or is it not enough? We've talked a lot and a lot about how that technology can create that equity. Is it enough? Is there value in that when we continue to talk about can the technology provide that equity of the human-to-human -human versus human-to-virtual aspect of it to fulfill those needs. Yeah, talk, talk a little bit. What do you mean when you say the equity in the virtual? A lot of our work right now is, is focused on technology and how can we feel inclusive in a conversation or an interaction, whether I am sitting here like we are right now, Brian, mm -hmm. or if we were on the virtual spectrum like Dustin is with us right now. So does he feel as inclusive to the conversation as you and I may because we are physically sitting next to each other, or is there a lack of inclusion based on how our brains are functioning to be able to, to connect those dots together? That's an absolutely fascinating point. See, the virtual environment can help foster connections. However, we don't use our workplace virtual environments in a manner that's conducive of full connectedness. So there's a partial thing there. For example, think of how relations spawn virtually these days. An article I read said 39% of all relationships nowadays start virtually, and that came from Stanford University. Wow. So it's a credible source. So that's a large amount of relationships that start virtually. And one thing that we noticed by watching these amazing TV shows like 90 Day Fiance or whatever TV shows you like to watch where relationships start virtually, once they get in person, it's a completely different dynamic. The reason is whenever we're doing something virtual, we need that complete story. That complete story is how our brain processes the information. And with the lack of that information, our brain will fill in the gaps to make a complete story. That's how people can fall in love virtually. But once we get them together in person, it's a completely different story because of that story that they made up in their brains. 
And so it's important to understand that even though the virtual environment creates some of those key elements, when it comes to kind of forming that special bond, when it comes to connectedness, there's some things that are missing. For example, our ability to express ourselves, to share about ourselves, to be vulnerable for reciprocation from another person. A lot of those elements are missing in how we're using our virtual work environments and how we use our work environments outside of just having to get to facts and data and get through meetings to actually start establishing those deeper connections. That's what's going to help us. Well, that's interesting because I was going to ask you for a, an example of the things that are missing, but it just brought to mind, you know, you might get along with somebody virtually in an environment like this, but you haven't really sat down to, you know, you don't know how they sit on the couch when they watch TV and if, or whether they're like throwing their shoes off type of things. But. Well, and it's also that mirroring postures. So Dustin, I think we've talked a little bit about the mirror neurons or mirroring behaviors. So I think there's, there's a form of feeling connected to someone by feeling those those postures and behaviors, right? If someone's a little bit more formal, you become more formal in your posture, right? Versus relax, which then can help provide a little bit more rapport with each other. So I guess, you know, the virtual world, maybe the, that's part of that gap, right? I can't physically see or feel almost your your posture to, to mirror that, to feel a little bit more in tune and, and create that rapport together. You're exactly right. In fact, we call that brain synchrony. Mm. How do our brains start kind of synchronizing? How are you able to use those mirror neurons? And I've never found a study that talks about mirror neurons in a virtual environment. But what I'm going to say based on my knowledge and experience is virtually those mirror neurons are harder to, to face. See, there's a lot of things that happen when we're in person and that connectedness and just as simple as a touch. Where if you're pers- with a person for a longer period of time, you experience that brain synchrony where you can almost finish each other's sandwiches. sandwiches. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just. <laughs> oh, boy, that's freaky. <laughs> but you did it virtually. Yeah, Look at us. Look at us. Sorry, I didn't mean to but, interrupt so you. So that's why brain synchrony is so important because that really helps with those mirror neurons. And what we equate those mirror neurons to is empathy. Interesting. Yeah. How do you support connectedness in the workplace? But also we want to know, you know, how do you support it in a distributed work ecosystem? So how would you support it in the workplace? Let's go there first. And then maybe we can talk about what's different about the virtual environment with those key things that are missing for that, that level of empathy. Right. So I think feeling all-inclusive in the workplace environment. So um, Dustin, I know you have a little bit of research on this, feeling as though you are part of a team. So how can we set the workplace environment to enable that feeling of belonging? You know, old school days was a ginormous run of workstations, right? And you do not feel like you have a place. You're just in the mix of the C-cubes. So as things have shifted and we're creating more neighborhood settings and more intimate activity settings and taking account all the different interactions people are having, we're able to kind of counter that and make sure things are at a human scale that people feel as a part of a belonging to an organization, which then in theory will enable their success, as we just talked about, and then also allow them to give 110% to what they're trying to accomplish. So how then could it be supported in a distributed work ecosystem? One thing that I think is missing often from this conversation when we talk about workplace and connectedness and our employees and our coworkers is the concept of tribalism. So when we're talking about how do we get people to give 110 or how do we get people to feel that connectedness, 
it's all about the group. And when we talk about the group, we're talking about our tribe. And by tribe, I mean the people we spend a lot of time with, where we have a distinct culture or subculture. We use our own special languages, jargon, communication styles. We have specific unspoken behavioral patterns that we have to follow, as well as unique connections or bond based on accomplishing or taking on certain tasks. That's our tribe. We can support connectedness in the workplace or even in the distributed work ecosystem by making our employees feel that their work is meaningful to the tribe, making sure that they understand that their job contributes to the greater good of the tribe. We got to make sure that people feel these things because if they don't feel like they're part of that give and take or part of that cog that makes success happen, then they're missing that connectedness. So we got to make sure that we go above and beyond to make that deeper connection more than just a regular status meeting, Mm -hmm. uh, which typically people have to sit in virtually. We need to humanize our people again with the focus on their psychological safety. That's something that really hurts the connectedness or even creating of the tribe when we're talking about that distributed work ecosystem is making sure that we have that psychological safety because that means we can be ourselves without fear of judgment. That's what psychological safety is. So we got to make sure that we are including that as part of the package because if we don't have that ability to be ourselves and not feel judged, then we're not feeling that connectedness. Yeah, and, and Dustin, I think we've heard a lot through different focus groups with different organizations, right? It's a It's a little bit more of a purposeful and deliberate attempt to help teams feel inclusive with each other. There's more effort these days because of the pandemic and because of the distributed work model. And then there's lots going on with manager training and how do we how do we provide some of those touch points that maybe we weren't doing prior. And then that kind of flips us into how can we design spaces and places to enable those more purposeful interactions through different policies and methodologies and, and technologies. Yeah, and from what I heard you say, Dustin, too, is people are looking for a sense of purpose. They want to know what they do is meaningful, and they want that psychological safety net. And what you're saying, Sam, is we have noticed in some of our clients that are seeing some degree of success is there's this level of management that needs additional types of support or training, but the ones that are doing it well are the ones that are, they're having like small Mm check-ins. They have each one of their employees has a 30 minute check-in and you can talk about whatever you want. You can talk about work if you need to, or you can talk about your cats or your kids or whatever's going on in your life. So it's a safe space to just kind of express yourself for 30 minutes and it keeps the manager connected with their team so they know what's going on in their lives. And that's separate from the team meeting. It's just a, hey, let's, let's you and I spend this time together. But I've seen, too, the great resignation, people shifting jobs. A lot of the motivation for that, not just money, but looking for that sense of purpose, that maybe their ideals didn't align with where they were, so they went somewhere else. Had you seen anything to that effect? Yes. So people take jobs for experience, for resume building. But one thing that that we've learned over the last little while is this. When people started going to more of a virtual environment or started doing a flexible work environment or all the shifts that's happening, the thing that really came to the surface is that lack of meaning or their lack of their job contributing to a greater good. They were just in the cog doing what they're supposed to do without a greater sense of everything going around them and how they really contribute to it. And if you follow Viktor Frankl, which is a very famous psychologist and Holocaust survivor, He said that we are willing to do whatever it takes job-wise on the notion that what we're doing has meaning. 
and we've lost that. And I think as we're looking at the great resignation, that's the biggest thing behind it, is people lost that meaning. They lost that where their job really falls into the situation of the organization, how they contribute to their tribe. They were just doing their job. To survive. Yeah. To survive yeah. and almost not lose their job, right, just based on how the world flipped upside down. Yeah, so. surviving but not thriving. Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> well said. So I had another curiosity question, and it has to do with neurodivergence. So a lot of this connectedness might be what we would consider, you know, neurotypical people or people that process information in a traditional way. Is this need for connectedness different and people who are neurodivergent that maybe have different sensory needs or input processing needs? Well, we all have need for connectedness. We, we have a need for social inclusion. But as we said before, there is a spectrum to this connectedness. And neurotypical and neurodivergent individuals both communicate and socially interact differently with unique styles of social and emotional expression. For example, a neurotypical person may make social connections through direct interactions, direct eye contact, being straight up, straightforward in the person's face, shaking hands, where a neurodivergent individual uh, may make social connections through what's called a common point of reference or joint attention, which is a more indirect approach. So it's not that neurodivergent people have any different needs for connectedness or social interactions. It's how they go about it that's differently. That's why it's important that you know, we really understand those around us and how they connect and what really makes a connection to them so we can connect to them. And if you think about it this way, a neurodivergent has a smaller group, has a smaller group of connectedness. But those people are so much more trusted than a group of uh, neurotypical because they're very selective as who do they bring into the fold because it's the people mm -hmm. that can talk in the connectedness and social interaction and emotions that they experience. But we all have the same goal, the sense of belonging. We just vary on how we go about displaying that and communicating that to others. Interesting. Thank you for that. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we go? You know, one of the things I really want to leave this on is the understanding of when it comes to the neuroscience of this connectiveness. Our brain has what's called the default neural network. That's the typical pattern of activity that's happening in your brain. Think of it as the highway of your brain. And a lot of the other neural connections in your brain, think about those as side roads or side country roads or <laughs> you know maybe a, an interstate or something to that degree, depending on how often you use that. But whenever your brain is at rest or not in activity, this neural default network is firing. And fMRI studies have shown this. What's fascinating to me is we, if we look at somebody underneath social interactions, it's the default neural network that's firing. There's not the need for additional networks in the brain. This is showing you that the brain is wired for connectedness. And there's some great studies done by Dr. Lieberman when it comes to that default neural network, as well as the social interaction, which is the exact same network. Aristotle even said that man by nature is a social animal. We are social and emotional beings that have adapted the ability to think critically. We're not critical thinking beings that have developed the ability to be social and emotional. Our brain is wired for this connectedness and this socialness, and it feeds off of that. And so it's important that we understand that these different things exist, 
because we need to be able to help foster them and help grow them and really understand how when we're in social interactions and we're feeling that connectedness with people, our brain is releasing oxytocin. Oxytocin is a neurotransmitter that has a lot of great benefits. It gives you a sense of well-being, calmness, positive emotional states, it lowers stress. It helps reduce the cortisol, which is the stress hormone in the brain. Oxytocin is also known as the love hormone or the cuddle hormone. It's, it's that when you're really close to somebody, it's that thing that fires in the brain that makes you feel so happy and joyful and and we need to be able to establish that. And when we have connectedness, we have that in our brains. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Dustin, it's always a pleasure when you join us. This is the second one. I hope we get to do more because this was a lot of fun. Oh, my mind's already spinning, Brian. Right? Uh, you're going to have a lot of fun giving I your am. presentation. I'm gonna have, we're going to have to have a Dustin series. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> Well, I always have a great time talking with you guys about these amazing topics, and I, I really hope that this can go a long way in helping somebody see their world through a different eye, where they could possibly do something just a little bit different than they did before to the benefit of others. Well, Dustin, we talk about the subconscious, just so I want to touch on this for real quick. So, you know, you, we've talked about the subconscious, but I think it's also on the flip side, us as designers need to have that subconscious understanding of the different aspects of being connected so that then we can apply that to our work. So this has been super helpful to, to dig a little bit deeper in that so that we can take away our biases and be, have a little bit even deeper empathetic approach based on the subconscious of the brain. Sam, that's great. Thank you yeah. for coming too. It's yes. Ni it's nice to see you. Sam and I are in the room together. Yeah. Dustin's joining on the phone from sunny and incredibly hot Arizona. Thank you for your time. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, for this episode, The Science Behind Connectedness in the Workplace, with Dr. Dustin Jackson, Associate Director of Transformation Advisory at Cognizant, and Samantha Delabar, Design Leader at BHDP. If you appreciate what you have heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I am Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.